Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Okay, welcome back to Beyond the Bump. Um, Today it's an episode with just Jade and myself, Sophie. Um, We are talking about um, probably one of the most requested topics, but it's a very, very broad topic, so we're just going to touch on bits and pieces here and there. Um, But lots of people have asked for us to share our experience around um, becoming mothers for the first time. And And sorry, but Sophie's got something written next to becoming a mother and I just want her to say the word. I don't know how it's (laughs) pronounced. What is it? (laughs) Matrices. Matrices. Matrescence. Matrescence. Maybe it's matrescence. I think it's 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 the becoming of a mother. Continue. Continue. Thank you very much for putting me on the spot like that. Um, yeah, and lots of people have wanted to know our experiences with breastfeeding or things we found surprising post-birth or sleep um, and those kind of things. And as much as each of those topics we would love to, we will at some stage focus on for an entire episode. Um, and we'll also get a professional in to yeah. really um, hone in on, you know, the yeah. nitty-gritty bits. Yeah. Um, but we thought that we would just do a general episode on and touch on all because people, people are giving birth and they want to know this podcast before they give birth. Otherwise, they're not going to know how to become a mother. No. So we need to crack on. We need to get on to it. <laughs> And one of them. I don't know how women have done it for thousands of years. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. (laughs) Hats off to them. (laughs) Okay, so um, I had a friend message me before and she said, how do you know when you were ready to have a child? Now, that is a very good question. And personally, I think you don't ever know. I think you, you know if you're maternal or not. When is a good time to have a child? Uh, I don't think there's ever an exact time that you feel financially stable, you feel, you know, like, oh, this is the time, we're good now, let's go, because then you've got to try and conceive and then you've got all these other things in life to Mm. deal with. So I think that if you are comfortable in your relationship and you're content and you're both on the same page, perhaps that's the time. Yeah, I think that there, I think it's so personal because it's also, um, you know, what areas in your life do you prioritise? Like if you don't feel like you have got partying out of your system um, and that's something that you find really fun and love doing, then like maybe that's not the time. Or travel. I mean, I think you still can travel with kids, but yeah, certain type. Like, if you've still got a Kentucky in you, then I yeah, get that Kentucky to get that Kentucky done. Because um, I don't think they allow a six-month-old <laughs> to Ibiza. go with them. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, I think it's so personal. I think if you're waiting to be a hundred percent ready, then your biological clock will have closed (laughs) before that time comes. But I think there definitely are times when you're less ready than others. Um, and I think that, you know, if uh, I think that it's important to be in a relationship where you feel comfortable and supported and, you know, you're past the stage of maybe being able to fart in front of one another because you're probably going to shit in front of them when you give birth. That's and right. Flatulence is key. <laughs> Let them rip. The number one step to being ready to have a baby is flatulence. And then I think, yeah, I mean, also probably both wanting that next stage in your life um but saying that we weren't even in that frame of mind we were so young I was only 25 and I we accidentally became pregnant yeah but that was okay Mm. you know yes we would have had to we would love to have done a few um you know other you know travels and here and there around the world but Everything happens for a reason, I believe. Mm. And, yeah, we decided that, you know, this is happening and, mm. and let's go with it. So, And, I mean, if there's travel that you want to do without kids too, like you guys have pumped three kids out. Oh, God, by, I'm glad you said three kids because yeah. that was going to turn our <laughs> really fast. You've pumped at least three times. Yes. Um, you've pumped out three kids by your early 30s. So you're going to have so much time of independence when you're still, like, relatively young to still tick those things off, I think. I agree. Anyway. I concur. But, yeah, I don't think there's a cookie-cutter um, list for how you're age. already. Yeah, you can be in your 20s and your 30s. You can even be in your 40s. 50s, yeah. you may be pushing it, but... You know, there is people that try all the time yeah. for IVF and everyone has, dis, uh, you know, different situations. Sometimes they have to start trying because they have um, endometriosis or, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think one thing I would say is that um, trying to plan out exactly when you want to conceive based on when you want to deliver your baby, et cetera, et cetera, like is probably not something worth stressing over because I feel like as women we spend so much of our lives thinking, oh, my gosh, if I slip up, you know, when someone has a one-night stand or whatever, I'm for sure going to be pregnant. Like, you know, we spend our whole lives petrified of getting, you know, our whole younger lives petrified of getting pregnant and then, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people when it does come time that they go, I do feel ready now, let's get this show on the road, it can take some time. So, yeah. you know, even with even with um, us conceiving our second baby, like Poppy was born in February and um, this baby's due date is in January and so many people were like to me, oh, my gosh, why did you do that again, having Christmas, a summer baby, summer, summer. et cetera, and I was like, because I just don't think you can – I mean, we were extremely lucky with this second baby that we conceived the first month we started trying. Um, but Poppy had taken six months. So who was I to know whether we exactly. were going to be having this baby in summer or if it wasn't going to be due till next June, July. And I feel so, like that's the universe telling you that is your time. You yeah. are ready now. So, yeah, that's true. Um, feelings during pregnancy about becoming a mother – and <laughs> Harry just walked in and we're both sitting here in our no, bras because it's so freaking hot. Right <laughs> 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 around. Hi, Bill. Got a special delivery. Oh, 
Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Quick little break to put Yumes to sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so feelings around becoming a mother when we were pregnant. Am I going? Sure. Um, I found my pregnancy with Poppy was um, really, really difficult. I had quite a hard time when I was pregnant with her because I was so sick. I had hyperemesis. And um, so I think when I, when we first found out we were pregnant, I was so, so excited. But then there was quite a long period after that where, like, I would have vomited most days till I was about 30 weeks um and I found it really hard to like I was so excited about the baby but I found it really hard to even see through how shit I felt to the fact that there was going to be a baby at the other end of it. I don't know how to explain it. It's mm. just like, you know, and every and everyone says to you, oh, but you must be so excited that you're pregnant and um Actually, this girl I know, um, G- Gemma Peanut, she um, oh, nice. is really oh, – that's not her actual last name. That's what she calls herself. But um, she's really open about, you know, that she she's up in her second pregnancy now and is around as far along as I am now. And she is very open about just hating pregnancy. Like she just doesn't think her body was designed for it. Mm. And she said, you know, you can be extremely grateful yeah. and excited for the child that you're going to have while still hating being pregnant. And I think that's something that people need to remember. And I, I agree with that because I, with my pregnancies, had hyperemesis as well. And if you have just started listening to our podcast, that is basically you being violently ill for a duration of pregnancy. And for me, it was up until the day I gave birth. Mm -hmm. So vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. And then it ended up just being from like five or six days, five or six views a day to one a day towards the end. Yeah. But I'm in two minds when I talk about pregnancy because I always say I don't like it. Mm. I hate the way I feel. Mm. I love the outcome. And then I think of the people who are struggling to get pregnant and here I am saying, I hate pregnancy, I wish I wasn't pregnant. I know, like obviously I'm not saying and I'm being I'm not being ungrateful saying that, you know, it's just that I guess my journey being pregnant isn't a good one like yeah. any everyone else. Yeah, I, I think it totally depends um on your approach, I mean, there's always going to be people in the world who in a shitter situation than you're in, but that doesn't mean that, you know, like what you're going, what you're through, going through doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I absolutely would rather have a rough pregnancy than to never have been able to get pregnant. I'm in no way saying I regret, you know, when I'm in it, I'm in no way going, oh, I regret that I got pregnant. Like I'm still so grateful for that baby but I think it actually does make it harder when you're pregnant when people make you feel like oh but you should just be pregnant grateful that you're pregnant at all Mm. um and you know it was similar to when before I had Poppy I had a miscarriage and with that pregnancy we had got pregnant the first month that we'd started trying and all these people thought it was a supportive thing to say oh but at least be grateful that you got pregnant so quickly and I'm like like, sh- 
sure, yeah, it would have been even worse if we'd been trying for, you know, three years and then had a miscarriage, of course. But it's it's really hard when people downplay your feelings on that. And I think that, you know, even if you suffer, even if you don't suffer from hyperemesis and you suffer from a little bit of morning sickness, and even if it is only for the first trimester rather than the whole time, the first trimester is 12 freaking weeks. That is three months of your life. You know, like if you're hungover, which is what I guess regular morning sickness feels like, you're allowed to wallow for the day Mm. so like imagine that for three months straight while you're you know encouraged not to tell people you're pregnant um (laughs) you know still working and probably not telling people at work um look I got to the point where I just found it easier if I just told people I was pregnant because you know, even though I had gone through the miscarriage and I was like, there's a chance that it could happen again, I thought I would rather tell these people if I had a miscarriage than suffer in silence. And, you know, I, I told my bosses at work that I was pregnant at about six weeks. Because well, I, I was like, they're going to think, in a bowl. yeah, they're going to think, I had, yeah, I was like, otherwise they're going to think I have some kind of alcohol dependence or <laughs> drug issue because I'm, I'm a shell of my former self. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'll be honest, the thing that I was most anxious about in having a second child had nothing to do with the child itself. I was really, really anxious about getting pregnant again Um, and because I think especially when you say, oh, when are you ready to be pregnant, like the thought of going through that again for nine months, like when do you have time in your life that you're just like, yeah, now's a good time to feel like shit for nine months. I know, and I think... You know, this is the whole thing about being maternal and having these feelings. Whenever I feel like I'm, we want to have another child. Well, let's be serious; it is always me. But um, you know, I it doesn't even come into my mind that being pregnant. No, nope, yeah, just, your body does that. Yeah, it's a trick. Yeah, it's like getting a tattoo. You're like, ah, oh, that was so painful. I'm never getting one again. It's like drinking. Oh my god, that was the craziest drunkest night of my life. I'm never drinking again. And then we forget and we forget mm. and we have another. So that's why he's going to have a vasectomy so we don't get into any pickles. Mm. But back to the pregnancy, I feel that, you know, I'm I just I don't ever think about that. And then when I do get pre- pregnant and immediately am sick, I'm like, this is horrendous. Mm. I can't move my head mm. a centimetre without mm. it throbbing. I'm mm. vomiting. Mm. I feel like then I had Mia as well that I was dealing with when I was pregnant with mm. Billy. And, yeah, it's hard work. Well, that's the thing. This time being pregnant, I um, have... I guess a glimmer of hope for anyone out there who's had hyperemesis. I would not say that I had hyperemesis this time. I felt a bit sick for probably the first 14 weeks. And sure, I vomited most days and a few of those days were was a lot of vomiting, but it, it was nothing like with Poppy. Um and I uh, so glimmer of hope for anyone out there it may not be as bad the next time or you may follow Jade and it'd be just <laughs> as bad but I would say that I thought after the first time I was like well I managed to work while I um you know was pregnant with Poppy like you know at least with Poppy I get to 
with this pregnancy and having Poppy, I can be at home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But oh my gosh, it's a whole nother. It's a different layer. ball game, isn't yeah. it? I had with with my first pregnancy, it was quite severe, and I got acne on my face, and that is not like me to normally have. To normally glowing. Yeah, I'm really, really, really clear and shiny, beautiful. But um, I wasn't this time, and I you know feeling so not yourself Mm. just I don't know it just it it does play take a toll on you and then with Billy's pregnancy I was even worse the second time right all the way to the end and you had 15 months and I had a 15 month old 16 month old yeah but then Yumi 17 weeks after 17 weeks I was actually okay occasional spew yeah fine yeah and I still didn't like being yeah I don't like being tired and sore I like I don't usually complain like everyday life but when I'm pregnant I put all my energy into whinging but I love the bump I absolutely love the bump oh the bump's cool but I, I love the 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 body side of things yeah I feel great that's probably yeah. the best weirdly that's the most I feel one of my most beautiful yeah, when, when pregnant. I'm pregnant me too oh, I mean like once we get on with pregnancy a bit god at the start I'm like gray the, and feel like my skin is just like middle trimester is that yeah like glowy happy yeah. shiny yeah, but I, I don't think that it was like that for me with poppy like I never got that like energetic second trimester with her I felt really good in the third trimester and everyone was like oh my god you must be feeling massive and I was like I've never felt so good in my life (laughs) but then I developed pups which is this hectic rash situation that started to spread from my belly button down into my groin and up into my tits so (laughs) the sexy feeling really left (laughs) left the room on that one Oh, yeah, I could probably dig some up. Dig some up. When I first started, Nick and I, of course, Googled pictures of it. And Nick was like, nowhere near. You're, not, you're nothing like that. Like, that's not what you've got at all. And then three days later, he was like, Soph, I never thought I'd say this, but you're worse than the Google oh pics. I'm like, God. no one's ever worse than Google. <laughs> like, I'm like, they're always the bad ones and I'm worse than the Google. I'm on Google now. Yeah, I'm beyond Google. Anyway, we didn't want to focus too long no, no, on no, pregnancy sorry. and births, but we wanted to focus more on after having the babies. But just briefly on births, was giving birth how you expected? Um, I don't think you know what birth is going to be like because you've never experienced it. So and every birth is different, so you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I... I think researching helped me get my head around what to expect. I spent the last trimester eating McDonald's and watching um, what's that show with the midwives? One born every minute. Yeah, one born every minute. Yeah. Just to see. I've never watched that show. Do they have bad outcome births and like traumatic births? I don't think they do. They're never going to show a death of a child. Oh, I don't mean death. I mean like, like for example, for me, I listen to a lot of Australian birth story podcasts, but I kind of made sure I handpicked the ones that were positive, yeah. not because I'm downplaying any other birth, but that was the mindset that Absolutely. I wanted to get I think myself when you're pregnant, in. That's important. 
However, I mean, after having her, I was then happy to listen to any birth because I think every birth is special. But I think that when I was pregnant, just like if anyone came up to me and tried to talk to me about how horrible their birth was, I was like, well, this baby's coming out of me. So if you could maybe save yeah. that story for another so, time, yeah, that'd, be great. <laughs> that'd be great. Well, for me, I wanted to know every single way of giving birth and you know I was even watching down syndrome people give birth it's so incredible to to see everyone having different experiences and then it's funny because we spoke about this with Dr Timmy I sort of created this birth story in my mind that how I wanted it to go and after you know one child you really need to just focus on being positive in your mindset and going with your body and mm. and that is all that really matters mm. with pregnancy and birth because mm. you don't have any control with it and if you try to you know if you're trying to sway your mind and your body a certain way because that's the way you like it well realistically it's just not going to happen and you're going to be disappointed mm. and all your expect expectations that mm. you've had will fall into the toilet. So, mm. yeah, look, I after three children, um, I think that just really having a positive mindset. Yeah, because I think, I think being, being realistic though, like, yep, yeah, you know what, if I need a cesarean or if I give birth naturally or if I need forceps or if something happens and I need to go into emergency, that's okay. Mm. Yeah, because I think there's a difference between um, – like already scripting your birth and have like positively manifesting and like how do I explain what I'm trying to say? Like I, I before I had um, Poppy, I had really positive thoughts about the birth. I had no fears going into birth. Um, you know, I felt like I know my body's capable of this, et cetera, et cetera, but I think that is very different to... I'm only going to be happy with my birth if it goes this, this, and this way. Um, and I feel, but, but I, cause I feel like fear going into, um, birth can never be helpful. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Easier said than done, of yeah. course, because, yeah. you know, we're, we're always going to think about that. Yeah. But if you can try find methods to, you yeah. know, like yoga or, you know, different yeah. things, books, and exactly yeah. what you said, a, a podcast like yeah. like Sophie's where you pick what you'd like to listen yeah. to so you can feel good about yeah. what you're about to go yeah. into is great. Yeah. 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 And you birth your babies in a public hospital, is that right? Three times. Three times. And how was your experience with that? Well, it was all different. Yep. Each one was different. I won't go, like, in depth with every single one of them, but um, the first – with Mia, if we're talking about becoming a mother, I was 38 weeks and I was asleep at 2 in the morning. I was dreaming that I was swimming with sharks and then woke up to my waters <laughs> breaking in the bed. So Harry... No sharks? No sharks, surprisingly. <laughs> Harry was in the bed. But um, he quickly grabbed a towel and my body went into this like convulsive state because all the nerves and me going, oh, my God, this is it, I'm about to be a parent, mm. kicked in and I just got goosebumps 
And I just remember just being like, oh, my God. So that was already the beginning of, of the birth journey. Yeah. And we went down to, I was in Melbourne at the time, went to Australia, uh, Australia, went to the Royal Women's Hospital and they checked and said only uh, there's backwaters and mm, um, fluid. Yeah, yeah, so one of them broke Yeah, um, and I wasn't actually in like dilation or anything mm. like that. So they said go home. But in that time, me being there for an hour, things had progressed. Mm. So they put me up to the birthing suite mm. and my birth plan, my ideal birth plan was to – have a drug-free labor because yeah. I wasn't drinking I never taken drugs so it was just my thing that I felt very strongly about and I tried the bath I tried um the mat I tried pretty much everything for eight hours yeah every single situation yeah. I was going um to to do and then they told me that she was posterior, so her head, they actually could see her head being raised through my spine at the back. It was just not happening the right way. So a doctor came in and manually with his hand tried to turn her and they said you need to go on gas because you keep on pushing and it's not the time and it's going to actually, you know, wreak more havoc yeah. than, you know, what it should. So I tried the gas, made me feel sick. Then they came in and I remember this um, anaesthetist came in and just went, everybody get out because I was eight centimetres dilated and we were at a halt because her head was in between my bone and mm. my pelvis. She couldn't mm. get out. So she said it's not the time to have a epidural but we have no choice other, other than a C-section. I said mm. let's go through all the methods if we can. Yeah. So they tried to hold me still and, like, that is just <laughs> nearly impossible. It was mm. brutal. Um, but I did it. I was numb from my hips down. I felt so much better after I had that because I wasn't feeling this pain. And now looking back and knowing what a normal birth feels like, a posterior birth is 20 times as painful. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is just next yeah. level pain. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I've never. I hope you don't. I hope I don't. <laughs> but um, so I had that. They still tried to manually turn, really couldn't get her, suited my husband up for the theatre room and when we got into the theatre room, I just said, can we please do um, use utensils, use not a knife and fork, <laughs> forceps, um, and just just try so I can give birth naturally. It's just what I'd really like mm. to do. And they said, we will try with forceps and an episiotomy. If we cannot get her out like that, we are only left with a Caesar. Yeah. And I said, that's fine. No yeah. worries. They got her out with forceps and an episiotomy and she came out um, a tiny little baby of six pound nine. And That's exactly what Poppy was. Oh, was she? Yeah. And she's yeah. such a skinny little little dot. Yeah. Her actual nickname is Dotty Von. But um, the the main thing, and I'm not sure where we're talking about this, but talk about it now. Okay. But this was huge for me. I've become a mother. I'm exhausted from the birth. And then 
they took me away from her straight away because they needed to measure her and do all the bits and pieces and I needed to, I guess, like come down from all the um, drugs that I had in me because they dosed me up thinking they were going to give me a cesarean. So I was actually numb from my shoulders down in the end. Did you breathe? I could breathe, but I felt horrendous. Yeah. And I was very, very, yeah, like I couldn't feel my boobs, couldn't feel anything. So they kept me in a room by myself and you get these afterbirth shakes after yeah. you give birth and no one told me about yeah. this. And it is a really... And I think they're worse after an epidural. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got medication in you, they just, yeah. they're, they're really, really drastic mm. and your body even though if you feel okay your body is just shaking uncontrollably yeah. and your teeth are chattering and you're sort of like well when is this going to stop and then they came over and they gave me a foil bag like I was dying yeah <laughs> put that over to warm me up and yeah I'm, like, I'm not cold yeah I'm shaking someone yeah. finally told me oh that's normal that's the yeah. medication where yeah because I um I had it a little bit afterwards when I was having a shower and the midwife was helping me shower and my legs are going, trembling. But I don't think it was as bad as it you know, no. can be. People talk about just like all four limbs just going. Yeah. And yeah. I think also when I was brought back into the room, it was really late at night, a, um, I remember a midwife said, this is how you breastfeed, like just show me really quickly how to latch me or onto my breast and I was still numb at this time they shooed everyone out including my husband they said okay it's too late now for visitors you guys need to go home yeah what was that like your husband going home because um you I, I I delivered Poppy in a private hospital so he, stay. so he stays the night what's it like when your husband just leaves after that it's really it makes you really really realize that you are responsible for someone else and you really really have to um be kind to yourself Mm. I was left in that room with this little baby in that little plastic tub and I couldn't feel anything I could feel my hands Mm. and because I guess instinct kicks in I picked her up. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have been mm. able to move. I picked her up by the scruff of the actual the baby wrap. Like a cub. Yeah. <laughs> hoping she's not going to drop from there to here. Yeah. And I put her over and I started feeding her. And you you, you don't know before you become a mum what you're going to be like. But you are always put in situations where you find out. So I just had to wing it. And I feel like parenting is winging it. Yeah, I just just can't imagine in those, um, like just straight away being with, like having been without Nick. Mm. Like even little things like um, I didn't realise how thirsty I was going to be after birth. So like um, I would keep sending Nick to get me like ice ice water um even to get you some new um like frozen um ice block things to put in your pants for your vagina things like that or to to even yeah I just feel like did you just feel like 
Yeah, and I guess you would just have to, what, buzz the midwife more often or did you just kind of just well, do it on your own? It's up to you. I had a lady next to me that she was struggling uh, latching on and the baby was just a little bit more um, unsettled. Mm. So she sort of took up the time of um, the midwife and I felt like, I was all right. Like I had no idea what to expect after mm. this point, but mm. you know, I'm in an okay place. If mm. anything really needed, mm. you know, attention, I can call mm. out for it. But the the things that I didn't expect was, you know, you open that first nappy and there's this big black sticky meconium poo, and I was like, is she? Okay. Mm. It looks like they're bleeding out or something. It's disgusting. Yeah. But what it's is not, that? So it's just it's their first poo they pass. And it's, it's called meconium and it's black and it's tarry and it's they can sticky. Have a, like two or three. Yeah, of sometimes yeah. it takes a little bit of time for it to pass. Um, and generally they like you, the baby, to have passed it within the first, I think, 24 yeah. hours or so um, just to make sure that they know that, you know, the gut is working. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely something to know um, and then to I, expect. And then I had, because I was all geared up for the c-section that i didn't need i had a catheter in me so they had to pull that out and i thought that was going to be horrific but it wasn't yeah what was horrific was my reflection in the mirror when i went to have my first shower and because of everything that happened down there my vagina flaps were like the longest that like like, oh, let's say 10 like centimetres. So swollen, 10 centimetres long. Because they were Well, you could swollen. like see them hanging down. Yeah, I could I see I don't remember even seeing my vagina afterwards. Mate, this got doctors <laughs> fisting and trying to turn heads in there. That had like a you had lot two deep stress. Well, I never would know about that, Sophie, but <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> And do you feel like it's more normal now? No, because I actually never had that experience um, with Billy and Mia. So I, I think just it was such a dramatic time with yeah. all the turning and manipulation and yeah, yeah, yeah. people in me. Like you literally just had a magically swollen vagina. Yeah. So um, I had, you know, the, a few ice packs and um, they do say that if you're going to have a tear and you have stitches or something like that, um, it may sting a little when you have your first wee in the toilet. So I found that having a spray bottle of water as mm. you were going mm. mentally, it's mm. mainly all mental, mm. made me feel mm. like it was easier for me to go. Mm. I actually, I was petrified about weeing and pooing for the first time after um, having a vaginal birth. But to me, I, I mean, I had, I think, two stitches, so nothing crazy um, after having Poppy. But the thing, the pain I didn't um, prepare myself for was the after birth pains. I don't know if you had them with your three, but after birth pains are basically... Um, your your uterus um, attempting to contract back down mm. um, after you've had the baby and um, and especially it happens when you're breastfeeding um, because it's your body's release of oxytocin mm-hmm. that causes that which is released when you breastfeed but um, 
I wasn't told about this either. They're, they're like, mine That's were my like thing that I couldn't toe curling, like completely made me forget about my vagina at all. Like I, you know, because you're, you're going through learn, you're trying to learn this. You know, sure, breastfeeding is a very natural thing, but that doesn't mean that it comes naturally. There is so much involved, I think, in learning to breastfeed. And um, I'm trying to concentrate as, you know, the midwife's telling me how to hold my baby's head, et cetera, et cetera. And I am just like, and I think you get flashbacks back to your contractions during labour. It's different to contractions though. Do you find that like the way I can describe it is if someone is going up there and you've got period pain and they're pulling on strings like some mm. kind of strings inside and tr- and dragging it down that is mm. how i would uh, yeah you kind of feel like your uterus is going to fall out yeah and, and and every time you do breastfeed in the first yeah. you know 48 hours yeah did you find yours was just 48 well hours? i did with mia so that happened and i was like this is horrendous what is this pain they're like oh it's after birth pains it's actually really good so what happens is yeah it's it's good to back. stop the bleeding but the bleeding is just because it's got to come out somehow yeah. so what it's doing is it's contracting and just gushing you can feel the pad yeah getting fuller and fuller yeah but every child you have the afterbirth pain get worse get i've worse. heard that and it is look it's another few hours you've just given birth you're yeah. a hero anyway yeah. so you do just cop it but my god when when you just want to relax i just think that because it, it was something that you was expect. unexpected and another thing that i um didn't expect um was the pain of the milk coming in so um my milk I actually being in a private hospital I I stayed in hospital for I think three nights did you just stay in one night with yours because I had surgery I had to have well I had the episiotomy yeah and I had things happening I had to stay in there for three nights okay so so the next day yeah yeah, um, yeah, so I stayed in three nights and the one reason I was glad that I stayed so long was because I was in hospital when my milk came in because I I think I would have been really overwhelmed if that had happened at home. And I remember on the second day saying to the midwife, oh, like I feel like maybe my milk came in overnight and she's like, you'll know. No, and I'm like, yeah, I'll know because it's like, but there's like a bit of milk coming out. Like that's, that's how you know, right? Colostrum. Oh my goodness. The third morning I woke up and it felt like a dodgy plastic surgeon had come in overnight <laughs> and given me, like I've had small boobs my whole life. I've always wanted bigger boobs. And I woke up and I was like, somebody take these away. Oh, and like a veiny. Oh my God. I felt like tight I could, is your so tight. I felt like I could rest my chin on them. Yes. Um, and just this, the pressure on oh, your chest so is sore. so and on overwhelming. When you're feeding. Yeah. It's so well, full. the thing I found the most stressful is because they were so full and so round and so tight, um, I couldn't latch Poppy onto yeah. them because she would headbutt off them like a, a balloon. Yeah. You know, like she would, if you, if you threw her at the boob too much, <laughs> she'd go halfway across the room. And, um, I, so I would have to hand express some off to make them a little bit soft yes. so that I could latch her. But um, 
uh, that was a bit stressful because you're you're sitting there and there's literally milk going everywhere. Your baby's crying because all they want is milk. Um, and you're trying to latch And you're on. like... And you're like wasting milk, kind of like hand expressing like, oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I'm like, I have too much of what you want, and you're crying, and I feel like crying, and you know, you have to hand. And I said, to, I I was so concerned because I was just like, is this what it's going to be like for the duration of our breastfeeding journey? If so. I stop it now. You know what I mean? Like because just because it was so difficult. And look, it only it only lasted for forty eight to seventy two hours where I had to hand express off. Do you know what no one told me about my first pregnancy? Yeah. With breastfeeding. Yeah. Was you can get nipple shields. Yeah. And they are like I've never used them. But if I had known about them for the first time that I was breastfeeding. Do you have quite flat nipples? No, I don't. The the purpose of them, I just showed Sophie my nipple just to prove it. (laughs) Do you have nipples? Thank you. They are. Um, But because they, because when you do start breastfeeding and your skin's really tight and your nipples are like, you know, they're they're, they're so pushed out Mm. with the milk Mm. and they do what you just said, Mm. struggle to latch on. Um, my, my children have cracked my nipples. Mm. So then they become really sore and mm. then it's excruciating. There's kind of mixed feelings about nipple shields. So some people say they're really great, yeah. especially if you've got flat or inverted nipples, right. but then some people aren't as keen on them because, um, they say that your, um, Child, no, your child can develop like nipple rejection. So they get used to the shield and then won't go on your normal nipple. And I guess whenever you take the shield off, I assume your nipple then has to get used to the mouth being right on it anyway. You make a good point because I had, instead what I actually did when I obviously didn't know, the most important tool for me was a, I had a Medela breast pump and I used that. So is that the thing where the let down in the other boob? So what happens is it was the electric one, and when I was too sore on one boob because yeah. I cracked a nipple and it's yeah. just painful, yeah. and I, I tried the um, lanolin cream, yeah. I tried the um, cabbage leaves to yeah. get that, you know, soothing. Yeah, that soothing, which yeah. is fantastic, but still. Yeah. Um, and did you put them in the freezer oh, first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me my cabbage oil. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if I smell like cabbage no. for the rest of yeah. the day. Yeah, Harry would always go, are you farting? I'm like, babe, it's the cabbage in my tits. Come on. But um, what really helped was expressing my sore boob out, mm. feeding on my happy boob, maintaining the, you know, mm. left and right flow of feeding, mm. and I would either um, use that milk in a bottle and give mm. that to her and it was nice for Harry to do, mm. or I'd store that away mm. because it's, you know, extra antibodies for when yeah. she needs it down the track. I've also heard of this thing if you don't want to electrically pump on that side, you know, because you don't want to make I too mean, much milk. Sometimes yeah. you can get too much milk, especially when it's regulating at the start. But there's this other um, product that is by a brand called Haka. I think oh, yeah, they're I a that. New Zealand brand. I haven't used one before. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know that it's spelled <laughs> the same as Marka. Um, but I'm thinking of getting it for this time. So basically it suctions onto your other boob and just catches the letdown of that boob. So, you know, when you first oh, start feeding, you get milk. really like wet on the other side. And, and you, you think, use a pad. Yeah, and you're like, that's a waste. Yes. So it does the letdown and you into a bottle and then you keep the milk, but without it actually electrically pumping your that's boob really for good. you. Um, so you started pumping straight away because pumping I think is something that a lot of people have um, a lot of questions and well, fears around. I was – I did a lot of research before I gave birth and I got this for a baby shower gift so I, you know, had all the time in the world to look up how it works and what I needed to do mm. and I knew that – you can do the letdown, mm. you have a letdown function, mm. and then you have another button that draws out the yeah. milk. So when I was just purposely doing this to save mm. my nipple from literally dying, I needed to just mend it so she mm. could go back onto it, I would just do the letdown and then a tiny bit of milk, mm. not, not enough mm. to fill a whole thing, mm. just enough just to be comfortable. To flatten yeah. that boob. Yeah. I was really worried I'd get mastitis. Yes. Another thing that I never, ever knew breastfeeding that, mm. that existed, mm. I had one day I was at my parents' house and I was like, oh, guys, I'm getting the flu. And in an hour I had flu-like symptoms. Mm. I had a sore breast. It wasn't mm. too sore, but there was a lump in it. Mm. And my girlfriend who had children said, oh, babe, you got mastitis. You need to go get antibiotics mm. straight away. So I went down to the doctor mm. feeling even more dreadful as time mm. went on. Mm. And within 24 hours of getting an um, antibiotic to open that um, duct up, I felt so much better. But did you have to manually open the duct up as well? It was so uh, severe because, the infection. because I had flu-like symptoms, it obviously had been coming over a few yeah. days and I wasn't aware of mastitis, yeah. so I needed the antibiotic. Yeah. But with Yumi this time, I struggled with cracked nipples again yeah. and breastfeeding and I called the Breastfeeding Association hotline, hotline yeah. and she gave me a really good tip and it was... Get an electric toothbrush. Ooh. Yeah. And rub it on all the little um what do we call these beautiful ducks. little ducts? Yeah. So it just it massages them out mm. really softly, mm. not actually overdoing mm. it. And and that helped. See, I found nothing more satisfying than when Poppy was breastfeeding to just like run my fingers over the lumps. I just Oh, like not no. satisfying as in like sexual. I, I wasn't yeah getting turned on by it. <laughs> but like I just oh, loved when there was like a little bit of a lump there and then you were like gave it like a few massages and then it was gone. Did, it was so good. But do you find I that never that had mastitis oh, though and I never had like an actual blocked milk duck. So I only I, had it twice thankfully. But, yeah. Um do you find that with Small boobs because when you milk, you're staring so much at my chest because we're both sitting here half naked. But um, when you have small boobs, because the the skin is stretching, do you reckon that's mainly the pain? Because my um, sister in law has breast implants and they're quite big boobs. She never felt engorged, Ah. and she never ever had that feeling. I mean, I, I I do feel like a lot of my feeling was 
this awful stretch yeah. feeling. Um, yeah, that it was just almost too much for my chest. And, of course, your boobs grow while you're pregnant, but this was like like I couldn't believe how much my boobs had grown while I was pregnant. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, they've tripled in size. And it's funny. And I think Nick's always wanted me to have bigger boobs, like not in like a harsh way, but he saw me that morning and was like, oh, my God, like the veins coming through. It's not a nice, like it's. They're there for a purpose. Yeah. And it's not for your husband to go, you know, <laughs> hoodle over. Hoodle over. Hoodle. Doodle. What? Oodle, oodles and noodles. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, obviously it is more of a um, PG-rated breast enlargement. Mm. And I will say, because I don't want anyone to feel excluded, we're in no way ho-humming or poo-pooing people that formula or bottle feed. It's just that the two of us... Breastfeed. Breastfeed. <laughs> I think it also depends on where you are. Um, in Melbourne, it wasn't a huge focus to breastfeed. However, I wanted to see if I could do it and I went through all these hurdles and managed to continue it. However, I did, I think, you know, it was a few weeks after me still struggling with breastfeeding I did bring formula into the mix mm. and I gave my husband the formula feeding because I was too tired to pump mm. and then go to sleep. Mm. I just needed to, you know. Yeah. And and it worked for us. Yeah. Some people really struggle with yeah. feeding altogether or yeah. they have to go back to work and they can't make mm. enough milk. There are so many good formula brands out yeah. there that if you can't do it, yeah. then you're okay. Yes. Yeah. The baby's thriving. They yeah. they end up chubby and healthy and happy and I yeah. was brought up on formula and look at me. So You're just a specimen. I am. Yeah, I started at about six weeks. I would um, pump each morning just after her first morning feed because apparently you produce the most yeah. milk first thing in the morning. Um, and then I would put a bottle aside so that Nick could have that bonding time with her. Before six weeks I didn't do it as much because I'd heard that it can interrupt yeah, like your like regulation of um oh no apparently. more the regulation oh, of the, the milk milk itself huh. um but anyway who knows that worked fast but that um, makes sense but I did find coming from breastfeeding to then giving her a bottle with express breast milk I was there is so much to think about. Like I was like, I was like, this is not the easy option. It's like people option. like make out it is. I was like, this isn't the easy option. There's a lot involved and in I'm this, sure and, that- you know, storage and um, sterilizing. But then I never understood sterilizing because I was like, my boobs not sterile. I know, but like your baby is. Like you guys share the same antibodies, so I feel like your nipple is. But it's not antibodies. It's like the germs on my skin. Yeah, but they're allowed to have germs. I think there's good germs and then there's like yeah, new yeah. germs. Yeah. And I think that's... Well, I wasn't shoving the teat of the bottle up her bum. No. Yeah. Do no. you know what I found um, interesting, I didn't know until this year, is when you have a flu or you get sick, and a lot of women probably already know this, but um, you build up your antibodies mm. and then that fights off in your breast milk for your children. So mm. when they're feeding, mm. they're covered by mm. what you're about to, mm. you know, give them. Yeah. And I think that's just incredible. Oh, 
It's so incredible. And colostrum, that um, liquid gold, if you can. Did you do any um, like prenatal expressing of colostrum? No, I didn't. I tried my pump and never could work out how to do it before I could get milk. Yeah. And um, it never worked for me. But my girlfriend did it and she actually was able to store a decent amount. Um, I never did it with Poppy, but I'm considering doing it this time. I would if you can try because yeah. it's so good. Like yeah. even when if they just need a bit of a top up for their blood sugars or anything. But like even that, if they're, they're one and you and they're getting going to daycare or whatever, and you mix that into their breakfast cereal, mm. like that is just an added liquid oh, gas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and touching on dummies. Yeah, some people are so oh Oh my gosh yeah so have your kids had dummies okay i tried to force a dummy on mia because she was crying and i was like oh surely you need a dummy Mm. i had five dummies when i was little Mm. i had two in between my toes two in my hands (laughs) and one in my mouth and then dad made me bury them when i was five underneath the trampoline i think it was probably time at five he did say i was going to big girl school so i needed to give it up but anyway um i tried the dummy she just wasn't a dummy girl didn't need it and she wasn't that horrendous then i had billy billy was just the it was the hideous cry like you've ever heard just foul like a dying cat no just grind your gears you know that that feeling you get in your chest where you're like yeah, that frequency you block your ears. Just, yeah, like, the yeah, frequency. Yeah. So, and everyone felt it. It wasn't yeah. just mum. So, yeah. I was like, that's, I've already mentioned this before that I got my mum to come up and she just kept on trying with dummy after dummy and yeah. found one. And it was a blessing. Yeah. It didn't interfere with feeding. It was a few weeks after, you know, getting used yeah. to the breast that yeah. I did attempt it. Yeah. I don't do it straight away. Yeah. Um, because I don't feel that they really need it as they're they're just feeding and sleeping mm. at that time. Mm. When developments or reflux, mm. which I think Billy did have, she needed the comfort and not the milk. Yeah. So hence what a pacifier yeah. is. And yeah. that's why we gave it. Um, little Yumes, there were really cool dummies by Bibbs that came out. And I got sent and I was like, these are cute as. We'll see if she likes these. Nah, she just likes to play with them in her mm. hand and chew them That's as right. a teether. Everyone needs help with teething. That's it. So, um, and she wasn't a dummy girl either. Yeah. So it, it just depends on the type of baby and the type yeah. of latch and problem or, mm. you know, mm. personality they have. Mm. And whatever you want to do, you're the parent. Mm. Don't listen to other people. Just do you. Mm. Yeah, because well, um, Poppy never had a dummy, but she's a thumb sucker. Oh, but yes. obviously couldn't really start doing that until her arms were out of a swaddle because, yeah. you know, she did a little bit. We had her in, you know, one of those um, arms up, love to dream suits. No, 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 no. Once she got to that stage, yeah. um, she would suck a bit on the hand That's of it, but, but, not, but not do like a full suction. And then as soon as – and then I noticed throughout the day – she would do it a bit to soothe herself. And I was a thumb sucker when I was really? little. Did yeah. you have braces? Yeah, I did, but all of my siblings had braces, so I don't know. You know, all these people try and scare me like, oh, she's going to have the worst teeth ever. I'm like, well, number one, how do you stop them? Mm. Like that thumb is attached to her body. And number two, like if it if it's her comfort in this weird, wide These are world, all the old, older generation they love to give you the input on don't let them thumb suck, don't give them a dummy at a certain time, it'll confuse them, do this, do that. 
with Yumi, she sucks on a um, jelly cat ear, which is just a little soft teddy, and, mm. and the ears stink. So <laughs> hygienic, that's actually probably the worst thing you can yeah. do. But she's got two and we, we rotate that. Yeah. Um, with, um, with thumb sucking, my mum sucked her thumb, sorry mum, sucked her thumb for a very, very long time and she has the most perfect straight teeth. Um and my cousin, I'm sorry, Maya, but she sucked her thumb for a very, very long time and she didn't want to get out of that habit. So what they did is they saw a dentist and they put a metal little contraption above the top of the gum line, which made it really uncomfortable for them to have that satisfaction. Mm. Now, she was older. She wasn't mm. a baby or mm. a child. Yeah, so, I'm not taking coffee yeah, again. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, there are, there are so many options down the track if they oh, have I just think if issue, the worst thing that happens has to happen in life is that she has braces one day. Like There is nothing if, cuter than seeing a little baby suck their thumb. I know. I don't care. It's so cute. And then she likes to rub hair at the same time. Oh, yeah. So does my auntie. But that's another story. <laughs> Still? Yes. I'm guessing she's slightly older than Poppy. Yeah, just a little And I think one thing that um, people find awkward and hard, whether you're the visitor or you're the new mum, um, ways that you can actually be helpful when you go and visit a new mum. This um, is a huge, huge... huge it probably could be an episode within itself. It really could, but it is really important um, that this is discussed because, once again, postpartum, people just expect that you're okay and the baby is so cute and they just are coming for cuddles. It's not that at all. We... I said to Sophie before we recorded this podcast today that back in the day they used to say that it would take a village to raise a child or children mm. or a family. Mm. And now that we live in such a, you know, Secluded, individual yeah, yeah, individual houses with just your partner who does have to go to work, mm. um, it's a lot of pressure on you. So I understand that everyone has jobs and responsibilities. And however, maybe their own kids. Absolutely. And, but, yeah. however, there is always going to be a time when you're close to someone that's just given birth that you can alternate with other people in their life to remember when you're going to see them, be helpful, be useful or bring something. I think... Or D, all of the above. Yeah, or all of the above. If you if you can't be there, send some food. If you can't make or send some food, take the baby so she can have a shower. Come over and do the washing. Don't ask her if she needs help with anything or if she needs help with the washing because she's never going to say, yes, can you please do it? And if, if you're not close enough to feel comfortable doing their washing, then you probably shouldn't be at their house in the first place in those not first in couple weeks, of weeks. No. Yeah. Luca, who's amazing from boob to food, yes. I don't know if you follow her, but she did an absolutely incredible post a few months ago because I think that 
Um, I mean, we've all done it. Before I had a child, I'd go around and visit people's newborns and I'd sit there oh, holding the baby. Know. You're not educated. Thinking that I was being helpful and giving them a break. But I remember in those first stages, if I'd had a lot of visitors in a day, I'd get to the end of the day and I would seriously miss Poppy. Mm. And I would feel like, sure, I've been around her all day, but I would be like, I honestly don't feel like I have held my child all day. And it's new for you too. Yeah. Like you are trying to enjoy this new time. And I love that people want to congratulate you, but I, I think there needs to be, you know, reasons behind yeah. it more than just we want to see how cute your baby is. Yeah. You know, I think three months. I mean, I'm not ex- I'm not saying that people should wait three months to see your child, but mm. give the first few weeks people time to bond with their own children first. Mm. And in that time, help them by being, you know, useful with all those mm. things we mentioned before. Mm. Um, but read out what. So she did a visit. Her. She did a um, post, and the picture said, "No visitors, only staff." Um, and it was based off an article she'd um, written about um, post-birth visitors. Um, and the no visitors only staff means that the only people who should be coming over are those with a job to do. Um, so examples of things to do is each visitor can bring the next meal. She wrote, so if they are visiting before lunch, get them to bring you all lunch. If visiting di- near dinner, then bring dinner. Maybe don't visit too close to dinner anyway, but you can still bring them dinner, but don't <laughs> visit too close to dinner. Um, bring snacks. So one thing I didn't expect, Lactation especially, awesome. but especially with breastfeeding, I didn't realize how hungry I would be just mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And if you can bring healthy snacks that the person can just have in their fridge Nuts. that they can just pick at, or like, you know, one of my friends made mini quiches or mini little bliss balls or just things that you can snack on quickly, um, but that can just, you know, make you feel content were really good. Yeah. And there's a really good book that actually is the um, first 40 days the first 40 days look to me it's actually way too healthy for my diet I I like I pulled a few things out of it but realistically like I'm not gonna have all that you need because it's a lot about broths yeah it is and I like broth but it has to be in a soup but yeah I really think that you know just you don't have time and you're sore and tired and you've got babies and other children, you don't have time to make your own snacks. So if someone came and said, yeah. here are uh, a whole week's, you know, yeah. snacks, there's yeah. nuts, there's this, there's that, pull it yeah. out of the fridge or the pantry, yeah. oh, my God, that would have been an absolute yeah. lifesaver. Um, number two that she said is you offer to make the tea, so never let the mother, oh. never be a guest that requires entertaining. So never allow the mother to get you a drink. And if you're going to make the tea and there's dishes there, put the dishes in the dishwasher yeah. or wash the and dishes don't ask. or whatever. Just do don't it. ask because they'll say no. Um, three, if you're close to the m- new mother, moo mother, new mother, do some more, do some jobs around the house, vacuum, bins out, laundry, etc. If you're not that close, you probably shouldn't visit anyway in the first couple of weeks. Four, don't overstay your welcome. I think half an hour to 40 minutes is max. Um, Depending on where you come from. But saying that, you're right. Like you don't. But even come and go in stints yeah. or, you know. Yeah. Um, five, if the mother has other children, offer to pick them up, 
um, from school or take them out in me, the afternoons. This is making me, me feel lighter just listening to all that. If that yeah. was actually happening. happening, but and, and I don't think people mean badly. It's just they don't know where to start. And this is where my a girlfriend of mine, and I think we'll talk about this more, but um, has created an incredible, incredible um, program to help postpartum. And I may just say that the in Holland, Amsterdam, when you give birth, they give you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll never hear your answer, so I'm just going to keep going anyway. <laughs> um they give you a nurse after you leave hospital mm. for one or two weeks mm. and that's not for any reason but to be there for you. So your mm. husband has time off because you've got other kids or he's doing other things. Mm. If you need a sleep, she takes the baby so you can actually get that sleep that you've missed mm. giving birth back and mm. she does your washing and she does everything you need. Two weeks is, you know, finished You've actually got a lot of rest now, mm. um, enough to feel like you're relatively back in the mm. game again. And I just think that that should be in our government mm. because it is just like it made me so proud. I want to move over there and live mm. there. Mm. But you're done Yeah, I know. No, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And I think if you are going to be at someone's house and you're close enough that they would trust you with their baby and the baby's asleep, even offering the mum a nap without their baby napping next to them is so good because, you know, you're in love with the little sounds they make or, you know, it might be a really noisy baby or whatever and you're, you're just, you're only surface sleeping when you're napping next to them. Because I genuinely know that if, like, my mum or my auntie or, you know, my close friends offer that, I know that they genuinely mm. happily want to do that. Mm. So I'm like, I actually can put my head mm. down and close my eyes because this is not a burden for mm. me. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of first-time mothers or mothers find that they are putting other people out and this mm. is where they put on the pressure to themselves mm. that they have to do all these roles because mm. they don't want everyone else to feel they can't cope. But we can't cope in the not first few weeks own. on your own. No. I'm sorry, I'll just whiz through the last two. If in doubt, you can book a cleaner for her. So my mum actually did that for my sister-in-law before um, they got home from hospital. They Mum booked a cleaner to go through and just, you know, make sure all the toilets were spotless, just those little things. HelloFresh would also be a great one. To yeah, HelloFresh or, or any of the other um, delivery ones. If you're in the Byron area, my um, friend's mum actually has a company. It used to be called the Byron Bay Pantry, but they no, they've just changed their name. Give me one second. And while she's finding it, they actually came to me three times because I had a beautiful friend that she said, what's your address? She didn't ask me why. Um, she didn't say what she was going to do. I had three different um, times throughout, I think, a few months that they just knocked on my door with the most beautiful and fresh lasagna salad and banana bread and I I had tears in my eyes because I the last thing I wanted to do was that and it was just here and my whole family ate it yeah I didn't have to clean up and it was just such a thoughtful gesture the last time she did it 
there was no reason. She just said, everyone needs this every now and again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, there I, needs I to be more of you yeah, in the world. I can't find it, but it, it services the Byron Bay and surrounding areas. But I'll link their new name in the um, show notes because it's such a lovely idea and she only cooks with whole foods and um, really beautiful, real ingredients. Um, so, you know, as much as they might be hearty and homely meals, um, they're, they're still nourishing. Yeah, and, and, if, and if you don't want, you know, meals made or people can't make meals and you like to do it yourself because that gives you a little bit of time, then the the companies like HelloFresh, I don't know, there's heaps of them, but if, if you, you know, get your meals delivered, then you know, then that's just one extra stress taken mm. off your list. Mm. So now I expect everyone in January to do all of those things for me. Yeah, I'm dead. I'll be in there with the podcast microphone going, Sophie, how was giving birth? Time can we to take record. a photo? I'll be like, can you go to my dishes, bitch? Yeah, I will, don't worry. All right, big M. Sleep. What was that? Sleep. Sleep. For who? For the baby. Anyway. I don't know what sleep is. Which equals you. What is sleep when you're a mother? Let's say that, huh? Um, no, is he saying for the baby? Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like with any baby or the babies I've had, they first six weeks is sleep, feed, sleep, feed. Now, they usually, my three, have slept, actually, we're not going to talk about Billy. We're going, and I hope when Billy listens to this one day, I love you with all my heart, but you were a really hard baby. You're an incredible daughter now, but you were a really hard baby. Um, yeah, she was one that just woke up every hour screaming. Once again, think she had reflux, never caught on to it. Um, the other two, they would do three to four hour stints. Sometimes they do every two hours, every two, every two, every two. Um I just feel like it is what it is, you know. Mm. When you come home, if they're you have your little cot, I really highly suggest having their little um, bassinet or whatever you're doing with sleep um, near you, or if you're co-sleeping, because that time you to get up and actually have to go out mm. of your room to feed every feed especially if it's every two hours, it's just too much on your body. I remember with Billy, I was, she was even in my room, but because she was a bad sleeper, I fell asleep standing up and my head went through the wall. <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. And that's when I was like, it was eight months and I went, that's it. You are having sleep school. I've yeah, had it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used this thing called a baby nest co-sleeper. Is that and the thing that wraps? No, no, no. So it's like it's a bassinet that goes next to your bed. So you're not technically co-sleeping, but the sides can go up and down and you can adjust its height based on the height of your bed. So like kind of their mattress is an extension of your mattress. But you don't have to get up. So you don't have to get up, but you feel like they're safe in it. Um, So basically, yeah, I mean I could roll over and I'd still sit up with her and feed, um, but yeah, I wasn't technically getting up out of bed. I mean, most of the time you've got to change their nappy and stuff anyway, so you're ending up standing up. But. I think with the co-sleeping, I didn't do much of it, but I did use the docker top, which is this this little sleeper with, like, soft sides yeah. around it, and I put that for a few nights in the middle of my husband and I because 
as mothers, we have this instinct that, you know, we don't go into the deep sleep because your child's there, your husband doesn't. So he could actually roll over and not know what's going mm. on. Um, but this, because it's raised off your mattress, it's in its own little bubble, is a really good, helpful um, thing. And I ended up putting it in, I'm, you're not really supposed to, they say, but I put it in the cot. Oh, I found it th- those awesome so helpful um, with day naps as well, yeah. or On even yeah, or like we put Poppy, you know, obviously before she could roll, etc., etc. Always the before kitchen, they can roll. On the kitchen bench when we were cooking dinner and yeah. things like that. And I think it kind of gets them used to napping around noise and that kind of thing. Um, did you do any sleep training with your kids? I definitely did. And I feel like I had to with, I'll let you know, because um, I do my sleep training at eight months. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a time where I feel like they're having solids, they're having three meals plus snacks, they're having my boob as well, they are thriving. I really don't feel that there would be any reason they couldn't sleep through the night anymore. Yeah. So um, I went through, I did a sleep school course with um, Mia, which was hilarious because when I took her there, she slept for five hours and I'm like, well, that's bullshit. I don't know mm. how that happened. Mm. But um, what I did was the cry out method. Now mm. I read a shitload of these mm. methods and the ones that worked for me for my hardest child and my easiest child was the three, five and 10 minute rule. Mm. And so the first time, the first night, I actually laid a mattress beside my eight-month-old and I just had a patted because I, I was trying to get her not associate my boob with sleep. Yeah. So I would just lay there and pat so she could, she could feel that I was present but I actually wasn't, you know, going to mm. pick her up. Mm. And I did this with the first child because I had a lot of time and I could just do that mm. now um with Billy she was already loud and I could close four doors and still hear her so I let her in there I didn't sleep in there I had this app um a photo on my phone as a screensaver that said never give up and I needed to see it because every time I heard that cry Mm. it was you know at two in the morning it's so much easier just to pick pick Mm. them up and shut them up putting a boob in their Mm. mouth but I couldn't do this forever. So yeah. I would wait three minutes, walk in, shh, shh, it's sleepy time. I'd lay her down if she was mm. standing up and I'd give her a little um, cuddler and I'd walk back out. Then I would wait five minutes and she has to cry like, you know, and it's not it's not the cry you think. They have all these different So cries. I was, I was going to say that um, when I was pregnant or before I had Poppy, I thought that the cry it out method was the most awful, um, is neglectful method. a yeah, word? Is that a word? It is ne- neglectful. Is that it is now. It, well, it yeah. is from today in yeah. the dictionary. Look it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought it was just horrible. I thought if your child cries, there's a reason they're crying. And I started sleep training Poppy at six months mm-hmm. because I felt like that was a time that I knew the difference between her cries. So I knew the cry that meant I'm hungry, I'm in pain, I'm mm-hmm. dirty, Um not dirty, Extina dirty, um, like <laughs> kind of dirty nappy um, versus like, I'm sorry, babies 
whinge to go to sleep. That like you you soon realize so that. What someone said to me, and not just someone, a lot of people, mm. and it's true because I now pass this beautiful mm. advice on to mm. other people. When they ask, I don't give my advice yeah, yeah. unless they ask. But um, children, when they can't talk need to express their emotions. Yeah, it's so the only way they can communicate. When, when they have a whole day of stimulation, of seeing trees that they've actually never seen before, they've gone through a developmental period, um, they get to about 4 o'clock and their brains are just about to explode. Yeah. So putting a dummy in their mouth or trying to shut them up with your boob is probably not the best thing that I found would work. I would allow them to cry Mm. because they just needed to get it out. Mm. You know, like if I'm angry at my husband. Don't put a dummy in your mouth. Don't put a dummy in my mouth. (laughs) Put a wine in my mouth. No, I would, I need to express and verbalize myself. So for them, the only way they can do that Mm. is, is Mm. cry. Mm. And what you're saying Mm. is there are so many different cries. So because yeah, that's the only method. way they can communicate. Yeah. You know that if they hurt themselves so in the I, box. So I followed um, Tizzy Hall's Save Our Sleep and I beforehand, before being a parent, would have ho-hummed the book. I'd had friends say to me, if anyone gifts this to your back, Gifts, gifts to you at your baby shower. Um, slap them in the face. Slap them and unfollow them on Instagram. Um, but, look, I found it really, really helpful. I um, found it actually even if you're not going to do, not not interested in sleep training yet. Is yours the same method as mine? No, so it's different. So you let them cry for a certain amount of time and you don't go in until it's reached that time. But then once you go into the room, you do not leave until they're asleep. So, yeah, so instead of, I mean, she says that she feels like they're going in and out is kind of toying with them and they know that if they laugh, if they they cry for a certain amount of time, you will come back in. Whereas this is once you've reached that point, you then don't leave. But if you have more than one child and you don't have time to sit there and put your child to sleep while your other little toddler's painting poo on the wall. Mm. Um, And there's all different, there's like different chapters for you know, so for example, one of her biggest things is that your daytime routine helps with how they sleep yes. at night. And I always thought I'm not going to be a routine parent because I want to, you know, I want my baby to go with the flow and I want to be able to still do what I want to do. All I'm going to say is when I implemented a routine, I had so much more flexibility than I did pre-routine because, I, you know, people used to be like, oh, do you want to meet up here at one o'clock? And beforehand I'd go, I have absolutely no idea where in my day I'm going to be at at one o'clock whereas you know I mean obviously in that very newborn first stage I'm not implementing a routine I'm going with the flow they don't know what day is they don't know what night is what I'm not like strict but I just mean that you know when they you see when they start to fall into a natural rhythm and a natural routine and then I just found this book really helpful about you know, it's more so when they wake up from a nap, you feed them then rather than feeding them to sleep for their next nap mm. and things like that. Yeah, so they don't um, associate. Yeah, food. and I found and look, this we I the first night that we were trying the yeah. cry it out method, I said to Nick, I said, get the Scrabble board out, get you, you get plugs. two mugs out, 
um, fill the kettle and then when she starts crying, we'll set a timer, we'll put the kettle on, we'll have a cup of tea, we'll play Scrabble, we'll, um, yeah, distract yeah. ourselves. The first night she cried once for five minutes, the second night she slept through. So it, it, this comes back to how much pressure you put on yourself as a parent because yeah. you, when you think you've got to have to give the dummy away or you're going to have to get, you know, um, you know you've got to give something up, it is so much easier than you think, like stopping breastfeeding. You think, and look, I could be wrong. It could, every child's different. But for me, I had all this stress and anxiety in my head thinking, oh, my God, I just can't do it. And I, when I tried to do it, it literally took one or two days mm. for the breastfeeding to mm. stop and one or two days for sleeping through the night. Mm. And I feel that if you can do two nights of hell, mm. You can, you, mm. you'd prefer but, but even uh, neither of the night were as hellish as I thought it was going to be. And then I noticed even by the third or the fourth day, she was literally barely crying in a day, not because she didn't, not because she's like, when I cry, nothing happens anyway because <laughs> my parents don't love me, but because her needs were all met, yeah. you know, like she was, she, she was getting up and go, Mum, I need yeah, to she was, get, to she was getting breastfed before she and I'm not saying I'm, like there were shit nights after that where we still look, I'm not saying ever since then, every no. single night she slept through the night, obviously, but yeah, it's yeah, it, was, it wasn't what I mental hurdles. They're always gonna be sick, there's always gonna be teething, there's but um with going back to that when you said that the book says you go back, you put them to sleep. Mm. I just wanted to clarify the method that I took um, was I did stay in the room until they actually did calm down. Mm. So for me, when they were settled. I, I wasn't calling you a bad mother. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I just want people to know that instead of, you know, like I didn't walk in and go shh and get out. I actually said, you know, wait till they're calm. Yeah. That's what worked. And yeah. then I waited. And I had to actually do, so three minute, five minute, ten minute. And then you start 10 minutes every time after the first mm. 10 minute. I only did the second or third 10 minute for two nights mm. and she slept through the night. Mm. A bit of tough love. Mm. And that was my hard child. So um, Yumi, I had in my mind that I would do this too, but she um, has been doing about five hours and technically that's mm. sleeping through the night. I mean, really. Five I, hours. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I think that's night, bullshit. So. That might be a newborn sleeping through the night. Yeah. But um, she has been waking up either um, at 11 for like a night feed, which she really probably doesn't need, and then she wakes up at 4. She's nearly there. Yeah. She's nearly there. Yeah. I haven't done it yet because I'm a little bit like. When we coming. first started ours, she still got a dream feed at 10.30. Yeah. Um, and then she, but then she'd sleep through till the morning. Yeah. Look, there's so many different ways um, of doing it. And when you're ready, that's the biggest thing. When yeah. you were ready as a mother yeah. or a parent or parents. But most people I've heard. Um, find the lead up to it more stressful than it itself yes. and um, they generally people's response is why did I not do this sooner yes yeah um, okay a couple more things we're gonna have to wrap this really, shit up yeah um, well I guess psyche after having a baby we spoke about that a lot in your postnatal depression postnatal anxiety yeah. podcast I'd just say I actually found my psyche 
and mental state in the newborn period um, was quite good. I feel like I went into it with quite realistic expectations. Of course, you're tired. There's times where you burst into tears for no reason, of course. But I actually found it wasn't till Poppy was about six months that I was, you know, the the kind I guess the novelty of it had worn off. Your adrenaline <laughs> from it all was wearing off. You know, I think your yeah, your hormones. And I remember thinking, holy moly, this is constant. It was the constantness of the it. Yeah, it was now. the constantness of it that I found exhausting. And I found it now, exhausting. That might not be, that might not be a word either, but I'm I'm just Go for it, girl. I'm Pregnant. just coming up with my own language that today. Belly. I will rub it. It's hot and sweaty. Um, okay, watch yourself. Okay. Um, I And I found it frustrating. Like Nick would go, oh, um, why don't you have some time to yourself and go get a massage, which was lovely, so, so good. But I found the effort it took to prepare to go and relax. Oh. Was so much more stressful than you know what I mean. Like I had to make sure I'd pumped, make sure I was leaving at the right time, make sure you know I was leaving between feeds or whatever. And I just got to the point at one stage where I was like, "Fuck, I'm not doing anything for myself because it takes too much work." And I was to, just saying that yeah. to you before. Um, I have a real as becoming a mum. I have a really hard time. Um, trying to relax because you cannot just go and relax. There is so much prep to being able to relax that you do really push that time for yourself um, aside. So um, make sure you you try and find some. Yeah. I'm still working on that. Yeah. I'm not good at like self-care and me time and even now when Nick takes Poppy out, like to give me time. You try and then that, work things that you. Well, I'm then that annoying person that ten minutes after they've oh, left, I'll send him a message and go, "What are you guys up to?" And Nick will be like, "Just piss off yeah. and focus on yourself." Oh. I'm shocking. Anyway, um, we'll touch on really briefly, but we will go into this more in another episode. But how about um, how did you feel in your body after you know having kids? Um, well. Overall, let's just do an overall one because we know how I felt when I was going through that time with Yumi. But um, overall, the first child, because I was 25 when I gave birth to Mia, um, I sort of bounced back relatively well. I know, we shouldn't ever have to bounce back to anything because we've given birth for nine months. (laughs) You've given birth for nine months. Fuck, I feel like I have. We've... Been carrying a child for nine months. Mm. There shouldn't ever be a time or focus on when we should be back to ourselves. And I don't don't think we will ever, 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 for me, get back to that time when I was. But you shouldn't need to because number one, you're not 25 anymore. Number two, you've had um, three children grow inside you and then live off you. When I say. Because I'm actually not a very body conscious person. I am very playful with like how I am. It's not a big deal. Mm. It is what it is. I understand I've had three kids. Mm. I know. I'm, I can see and I can feel. I know. But when I say to someone, if we are talking about body, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit bigger than I was and blah, blah, blah. And I get the response, 
Yeah, but you've had three kids yeah. and you're in your 30s. I want to bitch slap them yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm like, how dare you say that? Yeah. You're actually sitting there making an excuse for why I look like this now, but it should be okay. Yeah. Absolutely I should be looking like this. I'm fit. I'm exercising. Yeah. I'm eating relatively healthy. I'm doing yeah. everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. This is me. Mm. And it just shits me that there is so much, and especially around here, people people just care so much about their appearance. Mm. Would I walk to the beach in a bikini? No, because I personally don't like my my stomach out even when I did have a good stomach. Yeah. It's just not me. Yeah. But if I was comfortable and I love seeing women who are um, a little bit bigger and curvy and they are wrecking their it's, body. It's not because you don't think curvy women should wear a bikini. Confidence yeah. is key. If yeah. you're confident in yourself, yeah. I look at people confident and go, you are killing it. Mm. I love it. Mm. So, um, yeah, let like I don't even think that should be a question in, in parenting and motherhood. Who cares? You know, just yeah, but, yeah, but I think it's still something that deserves discussion. As in, I'm not saying it should be discussion. As in, like, oh, so you tell me how many months it got you to get back to your pre-baby mm. body? I don't mean that. You could, like, people are still able to take time. Are we fighting on air? Are we Go. having our first fight? Go! I'm no, I, I think that um, people should be able to take time to adapt to. I agree the way though. their body changes. But I agree with that. Okay, good. So what are, are we arguing? <laughs> are we arguing about arguing? Are we going to disagree to agree? You're, no, you're saying because I said who cares about what you look like. I take that back. We all care what we look like. I'm just saying there are bigger focuses and importances of um, this journey that we should really be, you know, enjoying and focusing on mm. rather than our body image. It'll it'll happen. If you're eating right and doing everything, like I said, in moderation, mm. I'm and sure And it doesn't it'll have happen. to happen within two months. Like it took you nine months. And I'm not saying it needs to happen in nine months either, but it took you nine months to grow that beautiful baby. I think it birth. comes back to, Sophie, expectations. Because yes. for me, if I'm a good mum... That is my like. I that's a big tick for me. Yeah. I'm doing well. I if I like have a six pack, I'm not like you know, woo. Everything yeah, yeah, yeah. Is awesome. Yeah. But I've never had a six pack focus. in my life. Neither have I. Yeah, that's a lie. I think I have. No, I haven't. <laughs> I was just skinny. There are no abs. And now I'm big boned. Um, I reckon we should wrap it up. I reckon that's long enough. Yeah, I think so. Nice gas bagging. Yeah. Well, we hope that you in just stop looking at me. All right, guys, that's it. We're, we're finished. We're hot and we're sweaty and we're tired and Sophie's looking at me weird and I want to get out of this room with her. Bye. No, we hope you really enjoyed it. Just remember that this is just our experiences. Um, yours may be completely different. Um, we are all about mothering how you want to mother. If you want to take on what we've said go for it if and also, you don't go for it that's absolutely fine and and tell us your thoughts and what yeah. your we we love to know um we get messages all the time about how people find um certain topics we've talked about and what they feel we had a lot of midwives after the obstetrician conversation so yeah let us know yeah, and um, we will go try and delve into some of these topics a bit deeper with experts and whole episodes. Um, 
related to them. So let us know if there are areas of this conversation that you'd like us to go further into. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.